Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for this day is the gospel appointed for the festival of the Reformation from John chapter 8. Hear again these words of our Lord. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Dear Baptized in Christ, Tuesday's date, the 31st of October, because it is the day preceding the festival of all saints, was traditionally known in the Christian church as Hallow's Eve, the day before that of the Hallowed Ones. But since that fateful Hallow's Eve in the year 1517, when Martin Luther posted his 95 theses on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, this day is now celebrated in the Lutheran Church as the Festival of the Reformation. It commemorates the Reformation of the Church in which Luther rediscovered the pure gospel message of Jesus Christ that had been lost over the centuries through neglect of the Scripture. Luther uncovered the blessed Christian truth that, in fact, in the words of St. Paul's epistle to the Romans, one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Luther realized in his discovery that although man is by nature sinful and unclean in God's sight, Christ has paid the full penalty for all sin. Man could therefore look to the Lord Jesus in faith and hope, comforted by the forgiveness of sins. He no longer had to cower in fear of eternal wrath and judgment that Christ was eagerly waiting to inflict. The church had made the Lord Christ out to be a stern and merciless judge. But Luther demonstrated from Scripture that God's wrath had already been satisfied in the suffering and death of his Son, and that whoever receives him in faith would not perish but have everlasting life, as the Apostle John has written. Martin Luther had a particular affinity for the Gospel of John. He preferred it because John emphasizes the words of Jesus' preaching, as opposed to the, his miracles and other acts. He defended his choice by citing our own Lord's words in chapter 6. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. How appropriate it is, and indeed even sublime, that John focuses on Jesus' divinity and his purpose in coming down from heaven to save us from our sins. He himself tells us why he wrote down the precious words of the Lord Jesus, so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing you might have life in his name. John speaks of Jesus as the eternal word who was with God in the beginning and in fact was almighty God who made all things. In our text today, we find Jesus conversing with some Jews who had believed the words that he was speaking to them. He had been telling them and the crowds that he is the light of the world and that anyone who would believe in him would never walk in darkness, but would have the light of life. He was bearing witness to himself, and this caused quite a stir. 
The Pharisees, the highly revered teachers of the law, were especially flustered by Jesus' claim. They accused him of blasphemy, a punishable crime. He had been identifying himself as one with the Father, the Almighty and Eternal God. They simply could not let this go on, for there was really never any doubt about what Jesus was saying. He was telling them and the world that he is God. One of the most beloved characteristics of John's gospel is that it contains Jesus' great I am sayings. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd and the most telling of all before Abraham was. I am. There was absolutely no question in anyone's mind what Jesus was saying. He was telling them in no uncertain terms that he is the great I am, Yahweh, the Lord God of Israel, who led them out of Egypt and was now come into the flesh to redeem sinful humanity. No wonder Luther loved John's gospel so much. Likewise, there is no wonder that the Pharisees, who were the religious establishment, wanted him executed. They could have have a man tried and stoned for misusing God's name in public. So Jesus' identifying himself as the God of Israel was tantamount to desecrating the Holy of Holies in the temple. It filled them with such rage that they would stop at nothing to have him killed. After all, he was committing the capital crime of claiming to have the highest authority. That is the authority of God himself. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Many in our day might hear these words about the truth setting one free, and at first think in a similar manner as the first Jewish hearers did, and ask, free from what? After all, we live in a free country. We exercise our freedoms of speech, religion, and even election of our rulers. The promise of being set free just does not get one's attention as quickly as, say, the promise of health, wealth, or prosperity would. In fact, because we live in a modern and enlightened society and do not find ourselves in bondage or enslavement to anyone, freedom to us is a given, a non-issue that we take for granted. For the Jews, such a promise of freedom was an insult. As the physical descendants of Abraham, they believed that their ancestry and status as people of Israel would be their ticket to eternal life if they simply revered God's ceremonial laws and statutes. But Jesus was calling them slaves. And they, in fact, were slaves because they were shackled in the bondage of sin, the most horrific form of slavery. He had told them earlier that they were still in their sins and that they would die in them because they were rejecting him. And in our gospel reading, he gave them a warning that we would do well to hear today. He who commits sin is a slave to sin. He tells us that the slave does not abide in the house forever, but rather the son does. He is warning that you that to he is warning you that to continue in sin 
justifiably defines you as a slave to sin. And that, for this reason, you will be expelled from God's presence. For sin cannot abide in the house of God. But Jesus did not tell the Pharisees simply to shape up and fly right. Nor is that the message for you today. For if you could be freed from the bondage of sin simply by doing a better job of keeping the commandments, then your righteousness would be from the law. And as St. Paul points out, Christ would have died in vain. Scripture tells us plainly that one cannot keep God's commandments perfectly, even though that is God's requirement. God actually sets an impossible requirement for you and for me. He has raised the bar to a level that we will never reach. We will never reach it because we were born in original sin, which disables us entirely from being the perfect and godly people that God had intended. Sin is the root cause of all the troubles you will face during your earthly pilgrimage. And it is ultimately the source of all sorrow and death. God told the first man and first woman in Eden that if they ate of the fruit, they would die. You and I have eaten that forbidden fruit every day of our lives. And in our age of genetics and DNA research, in which we make advances in medicine with the hope and determination to cure disease and lengthen the span of life, the great intellect and potential of man nonetheless will never conquer death, for it will never conquer sin. Only God can do these things. And God has done these things by coming down from heaven in the flesh, being born of the Blessed Virgin, and fulfilling all of the requirements of the law on your behalf. Jesus freed you from bondage to the law. He has emancipated you from the enslavement to legalism and the law's penalties. St. Paul wrote to the Galatian Christians that Christ has freed you from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for you, by hanging on the cursed tree. God did this himself through our Lord, Jesus Christ, for you, so that we would be justified in God's sight, so that we would be declared perfect and righteous because of Christ's work and not our own. Paul told the Christians at Corinth that in the incarnation, the crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. He has paid the price for your Sin. There is nothing that you could ever add to his perfect work. God indeed reconciled the world to himself, redeeming all of sinful humanity, buying us back from the power of sin and the devil. He has freed you from the clutches of Satan. He has freed you from the darkness of death, from hell, and from the grave. And of this you can be most certain of, because he has sealed it to you in your baptism. Scripture tells us that because we are buried with Christ by baptism into death, we are 
liberated because he who has died is forever freed from the law. Christ liberated you in your baptism. There was never a time that you had to add anything to it. A certain number of prayers, a certain donation, a pilgrimage, nothing. This is the good news that Luther joyfully preached to the people who had been told that the gates of heaven were open to those not who had faith and trust in Christ Jesus, but to those who purchased indulgences and said a certain number of prayers to the saints. This is what the Pharisees who were questioning Jesus did not understand. They viewed him as one who had come to try to abolish the law. But as Jesus said, he had not come from the Father to abolish the law, but rather to fulfill it. Having the full essence and authority of God to do this, he told them and he tells you today that if you abide in his word, then you are truly his disciples. To abide in his word is nothing more than to abide in Christ himself. Abiding in Christ is to know the truth. To know the truth is nothing more than to know Christ, and knowing Christ will make you free. And as we well know, it is Christ who makes us free. For Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. In telling you to abide in his word, Christ Jesus is not delivering another command, but is offering himself to you. To abide in Christ and his word is to believe in him and be spiritually fed by him. You are fed, dear Christians, here in God's house where you receive his gifts. Here he sustains you in the faith that he gave you in your baptism. He announces the forgiveness of your sins in the words of holy absolution. He even gives you his very body and blood to eat and to drink. Come to his altar and be fed with believing hearts, for this is what it means to abide in his word. This is what it means to abide in him. To them who believe in his name, he gives the power to become the sons of God, and he promises them his Holy Spirit. As sons of God, you are no longer slaves, but sons and heirs of eternal life. The truth has set you free. You are liberated from the tyranny of death and the grave. As you exercise your freedoms of this world, I invite you to exercise the freedom that God has given you in Christ Jesus. To abide here with the Lord, receiving his holy gifts unto everlasting life. May his truth and the knowledge of his love continually set you free to abide in him. In the name of Jesus, amen. May the peace that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus to life everlasting.